0: Lord Jesus, we love you and we adore you. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts this morning, that we might hear from you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So, as a this, I did not plan on saying this, but as a church planter. Uh, On Memorial Day weekend like this, I'm like, maybe five people are going to show up today. I don't know. (laughs) So I'm really delighted to see so many of you here this morning. It warms my heart. I'm I'm glad that I'm not just preaching to the sportsmanship code or something like that. (laughs) That could use the gospel, right? We could could (laughs) preach to that. All right, enough of that. So if I asked you for a moment, uh, a moment in your life in which something has filled you with, with joy and excitement, my guess is that if you were to remember something like that, just anything that gives you joy and excitement, it would be something that involves acquiring something new or maybe meeting someone new, but most likely newness would always accompany this kind of joy and excitement. You may have had the kind of experience where you meet someone new for the first time and you realize just how much you have in common with this person. You know, maybe you went to the same high school and you, you listen to the same kind of music. Maybe you're even the same Enneagram number. <laughs> and for some reason now, your paths crossed. And here you are, and you say, you're my new best friend. What can we go and discover that we have in common with one another? And this newness of a relationship can be quite exhilarating. Or some of you maybe have been uh, liberated from an illness in some sort of way, and you've stepped into a newness of life. Maybe it's through a chiropractic adjustment or some kind of new prescription that you have or something like this, and it's, now I can think so clearly, you say to yourself. Now my skin doesn't burn all the time anymore. My energy levels are back. And you begin to discover entirely new habits of life because of this newness that you've experienced. Or maybe sometimes newness kind of plays with your imagination, plays with your memory. Um, I don't know if this happens to you. This is something that I've experienced a couple, a couple times now, where you sit down in a friend's car, and maybe you've never been in their car before, and you, you take a deep breath, and you're like, oh, I love that new car smell. That is exciting. But then the weird thing is when your friend says, this, this actually isn't a new car. And you're like, has this happened? Is, this, is it's just me who this happens to? Okay, yeah, people are saying yes, it's only me. All right, true confessions. But you sit there, and it's like, no, I know this smell. This is a new car. And your friend says, no, this is like a ten-year-old car. This is not new. And and you know, I start to argue with this person, and it's like, I know this smell. And you know, I I try to say that that I trust my smell, my sense of smell, the memories that I'm having more than the testimony of my friend. It's like, yeah, whatever. I know the truth. You can't fool me. This is a new car. Well, right now we're in the season of resurrection, and we have been examining these past several weeks the newness of life that we now walk in because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation. And oh man, I, I almost want to sing all those songs again because they just paired so well with the book of Revelation. Um, so go, take your bulletins home with you this week and pour through those songs in light of the book of Revelation, this, this chapter 21. And this is a a part in the Bible in which John, the author here, he's, he's taken up into heaven. He's shown the heavenly realities that we will see when the new creation comes down to earth. And if we were to read all of Revelation, we would see some of the horrible things that happen, but also some of the beautiful things that happen. And the reason why is because God wants to give to his people a picture of the things that will eventually come to be. God wants to give us a picture of where we are heading. And you can tell throughout this passage that John is being stretched to the limits of human language, right? But he's pulling from all of these areas of new life that we have all experienced in our lives. John is saying this new creation, it's going to be like the new temple. It's going to be like a new city. It's going to be like new friends. It's going to be like a new marriage. And as we read these things, Maybe you have an experience, as quirky as it is, but maybe you have an experience kind of similar to my experience of sitting down in someone's car and insisting that it's new. Maybe we read this old book, this old ancient book, and our nostrils are filled with a beautiful aroma. And we think to ourselves, I know this. This is familiar. And others around us might try to downplay it. And they're like, no, 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 these these are just stories. Don't listen to this. But something inside of you insists that it's absolutely familiar. And I would would say that this isn't our minds trying to find an old memory. No, I would say that this is our souls yearning uh, yearning for truth, yearning for justice, yearning for true beauty and joy and love. We yearn for that moment to hear the one who is seated upon the throne saying, I make all things new. And when we hear that, something within us leaps for joy. So we're going to be walking through these three paragraphs this morning quite quickly. And I want us to contemplate these future realities. And I want our hearts to be stirred with joy and excitement from these these stories. So verse 1 of chapter 21, John writes, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Now, there's a popular misconception uh, floating around in a lot of uh, American flavors of Christianity in which we think that these verses mean that nothing from our present world will be incorporated into the next. I've actually heard Christians reference this passage as they're throwing trash out the window, saying, well, all of this is just going to burn anyway. This is all just going to be trashed anyway. As if to say that this, the the first creation, is somehow like God's failed experiment or something like that. That can't be further from the truth. The first creation is not failed plan A and the new creation is not plan B. No, the goal of first creation, the whole purpose for this life, this world, is to deal with the reality of human sin. It's to wrestle with that. It's, it's for God to fashion a people who truly love him and truly obey him. And, and, through the victory of Jesus Christ, this goal is achieved. The first creation sort of dims and fades as the restorative purposes of God come into the brightness of his illumination. The first creation is not thrown away, but rather it is renewed, restored, redeemed, resurrected into an even greater glory. Here we see that heaven and earth come together. They meet. In verse 2, it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, why is this so important? Because the dwelling place of God will finally be here. Here. The two are going to meet with one another. How is this gymnasium going to be transformed when that happens, right? Maybe we won't smell those wrestling mats quite as frequently, right? (laughs) I wish we could spend all morning talking about the significance of that word dwell. It's a powerful word throughout the scriptures. In Genesis, God walks and talks and dwells with Adam and Eve in the garden. In Exodus, God tabernacles with his people in the wilderness. He dwells with them there. The, the um, Israel's kings, they build a temple where God may dwell with his people there. In the Gospels, we read that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then here we see the fruition of all of God's desires and plans and purposes. You see, God wants to be with his creation. He wants to walk with us and talk with us. He wants us to see him face to face. So this might come as a surprise to all of you. I was actually surprised when I remembered this this week. But I used to play football, that's a sport, uh, with friends in junior high. Okay, this is like the only sports... Story you're going to probably ever get out of this guy. Uh, but I remember we're in junior high, and, and as what usually happens when junior high boys are playing football, a fight breaks out. And fists are flying back and forth. And one of my friends, Brian, just took one right right to the eye right here. And immediately his eye started to swell. It got really gross, kind of ugly looking. You know, water starts dripping out of his eyes. Like, it, it I'm not saying... It, it, was just, it was not something that you would want to look at. We'll just say that. Um, and and in the midst of this moment, in the midst of the confusion, because uh, Brian was kind of the the alpha male of our group, in the midst of this, all of us just kind of decided it was time to go home. Like, we're just going to let Brian kind of deal with this on his own. And this lasted for like two weeks or so, uh, this, this wound of his. And he was super embarrassed about it. He's actually stayed home from school because of it. Somehow he convinced his his parents to let him stay home from school from this. And say what you will about boys being boys and perhaps boys being tough and all of this. But I think all of us know what it's like to feel the shame of being hurt in that kind of moment, right? We've all wrestled with that. And we all know how extremely tender a physical wound like that could be, especially around our eyes. I mean, this is just such a soft, soft, tender part of our bodies, we don't want anyone touching it. Especially, you know, for that kind of wound, your vision would get thrown off, your perception of the world itself would be pretty fuzzy. And like I said, we didn't even see Brian for like two weeks after this. You know, sometimes I wonder, even after his eye had healed, I wonder how long he carried the shame of that moment. And some of you know exactly what this feels like. Maybe you you carry, well, I'm certain of it, many of you carry significant amounts of pain with you in obvious ways. And some carry it in ways that aren't so obvious. You have stories of tragedy in your past that cause you to walk with a limp, either literally or metaphorically, but you yourselves know what it's like to be scarred. So isn't it beautiful? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it breathtaking that the first action we see God taking when he comes to dwell with us is to wipe the tears from our eyes? How beautiful is that? God Almighty, who commands the angel armies, who is the king of kings, who sits upon the throne, what does he do when he comes to dwell with us? He reaches out and tenderly wipes the tears from our faces. He restores beauty to our faces. He takes away the soreness and the shame of our lives, and he enables us to see clearly again. This removal of tears from your eyes... This beautiful image. This isn't something that just happens to us each as individuals, as amazing as that is. This is something that happens to all of creation. All of creation is groaning out in agony, seeking the redemption of all things. And this is when God will reach out and wipe away every tear. In the new creation, God will dwell with his people and take away all pain and death will be no more. So now the second paragraph and the new creation worship itself will be transformed. There's no structural temple because the Lord is the temple. There's no celestial light because the righteousness and the beauty and the glory of God illuminates everything. In other words, the eradication of sin and the immediate presence of God alters all of reality. Do you see what's taking place here? Do you see the action? Do you see the activity that's taking place here? The kings of the earth are bringing the glory of their nations, the glory of their cultures down to the new Jerusalem. Now in this first creation, in our present world, we know that kings are corrupt. Left and right, kings are corrupt. They obtain their might through extortion and through violence, through trickery, through lying. But in the new creation, kings will bring their glory on behalf of their people, on behalf of the nations, to God himself, to the throne room of heaven. What in the world does that mean? Do you know what that means? There's two things that I can think of that that I've gleaned from my readings and whatnot. But one is there's more to new creation than even just the city. I mean, the the nations, they have to live somewhere and they're making pilgrimage to the city. That is to say that there's still nations, there's still people groups, there's languages, there's lots of cultures that are out there. There's so much excitement and activity that's happening. Now, kind of the sci-fi nerd in me kind of thinks about other planets that we might be exploring. I don't know. Like, what sort of things are we going to be finding that we that we discover and we want to bring to the new Jerusalem and share with all of humanity and with the Lord himself? Look what I found. Isn't this cool? I just think that's really exciting. <laughs> the new creation is just the beginning, right? And the second thing is that the new creation, it's dynamic. It's changing. It's exciting, Heaven. I I think some of us have this idea of heaven as as it's like some like Thomas Kincaid painting or something where it's just kind of frozen there. You know, there's been so much. I mean, no, I love Thomas Kincaid. He's very nice. But there's also been a lot of like really wacky art that's been inspired by this kind of stuff that kind of come across as like boring. You know, like I don't want to be just sitting in. As much as I love church, church is amazing. But I don't want to be sitting in some like eternally locked church service uh, for the rest of my life. No, there's a, dyna- there's a dynamic aspect to the new creation. It's global. Worship is taking place all the time here, and the nations are bringing their glory to God. Andy Crouch, in his book on culture-making, as well as many other scholars uh, who you'll read about this, they speculate that maybe these are the cultural artifacts of various nations that are being brought forth. Like the true um, just discoveries that we make. The things that you're passionate about now, imagine what they're going to look like in the new creation. Partnering with one another and and collaborating with one another to create true, beautiful things that we can then bring to heaven and share with all of humanity and with the resurrected Christ himself. How amazing will that be? The new creation is a place of resurrected worship. Now, I love the beauty of this final scene, this third paragraph. We kind of hone in. Our focus turns now to the throne of God, from which flows a glistening, bubbling, life-giving river. And on both sides of this river grow the tree of life. That phrase might sound familiar to you. Here in the new heavens, the tree of life, it's yielding fruit all year round. Quite simply, this shows us that the generous love of God is the source of life for all things. That tree of life probably reminds you of, of the Garden of Eden, where the tree of life was the centerpiece of the garden. Now, N.T. Wright points out, it would have been disastrous for sin, sinful Adam and Eve to eat from that tree of life and gain immortality. But now, but now, for the redeemed, for the resurrected citizens of the new creation, the leaves of the tree of life are provided as healing for the nations. So not only is this new creation a place where we have resurrected worship, it's a place of resurrected mission as well. The leaves are for the healing of the nations. Do you see how all these different things are coming together in this beautiful scene? We have the garden coming into the city. We have the bride and the lamb. We have the the earth and the heavens. He is making all things new. So how should this inspire us to live today? What does this mean for us today? You know, the Bible says that we're ambassadors of Christ, that we have been changed by God, and that now we walk this earth as his agents, spreading his kingdom wherever we go, following his lead, following his mission. We are the ambassadors of God, ambassadors of this heavenly city, initiated by the resurrected Jesus Christ. He says, my kingdom is now... We get to experience this kingdom now here on earth. So what does that mean? What does that look like? So if we reject the notion that the first creation is just going to get tossed in the garbage can and instead if we believe that everything is going to be fully restored into these most dazzling of realities where heaven and earth will meet, where God will dwell with his people, where both worship and mission will be completely transformed, then how ought we to live today? I've been wrestling with this question all week long, and I, uh, last night, uh, our friend Ben, who's in town from Alabama, and my wife Molly, we stayed up late trying to answer this question so I could present to you a totally buttoned-up, perfect answer on, on what this all means right now, but the fact of the matter is it's messier than that, and we all have imaginations that the Lord has given us, and so I kind of want to play with one idea for a little bit to think about. So on Tuesday night, there was a a neighborhood meeting here. Not here, but it was was at another church in town. And some historians there were presenting on their research on racial deed covenants throughout Minneapolis. So they were presenting on racial deed covenants in Minneapolis. But especially how that looked here in the Nokomis neighborhood. I was really delighted to see that there was about 10 of us here from restoration who were present at that meeting. We didn't promote it super heavily, but still, I know that this is on your hearts as well. And what we learned is that these neighborhoods here throughout, throughout Nokomis and around, as they were developed, the developers, they wrote into law, into the laws of those deeds, or as law, into the deeds of these homes, that individual properties couldn't be purchased by people of color. They couldn't own these homes. So unless you look like me, you couldn't actually buy a house in this neighborhood. And this is the crazy part. This actually wasn't totally illegal until 1968. So as you can imagine, the effects of this are still being felt today. And so I've been asking the Lord, what does it look like to have a foretaste of heaven here in this neighborhood, here now, here in this moment? What does it look like to get a piece of one of those leaves of healing? So Brian Stevenson, the author of Just Mercy, a man animated by his faith in Jesus, he often says that the first step in these kinds of conversations is to tell the truth about the past. I didn't know you were coming today, by the way, Sam. Sam used to work for Brian Stevenson. <laughs> so if you have any questions about Mr. Stevenson, go ask Sam after the service. <laughs> so anyway, he, and I love what he says. He says the first step in these conversations is to simply tell the truth about the past. So what does that look like here in Nokomis? And honestly, I don't entirely know. Maybe it's building a monument in, in one of the parks nearby that simply tells this story. Maybe it's creating a museum here where people can come and find a plaque of their house's address on it and maybe take it back to their homes and put it on display in their house. I don't, I don't know. And, and maybe these are, are hard ideas. I haven't discussed these with anybody. I don't know if anybody else is even asking for these kinds of things. But I think as redeemed citizens of the New Jerusalem, we are invited to think about these things and consider how can the church be participating in these kinds of things. And this isn't a political thing. This is a, this is a kingdom thing. This is a love-your-neighbor kind of thing. So there's, there's a study that came out a little while ago, and, and I, I personally kind of disbelieve this, but it's, it's a study, so I don't know. Um, maybe it's true. But it says that people who, actually, who read like the final pages of a novel actually enjoy the book more. Again, like that totally doesn't sound true, but that's, that's science. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to go with this. But as the resurrected people, we know how the story ends. We see the pages here. And so we get to enjoy the story now. As difficult and as hard as it is, we actually have the ability to, to enjoy the story now. We are baptized into the, people, into the body of Christ. We are given the mind of Christ. We have his imagination. We can prayerfully dream of healing and hope for our communities. And above all, we have the cross. We're all guilt, all shame, and all death itself is put to death. You know, God has laid on many of your hearts areas of, of concern, ways in which you can bring those leaves of healing to the people around you. How are you seeing a foretaste of that? How are you seeing that unfold in your lives right now? Yesterday, several of us hung out with a missionary in the Phillips neighborhood. Pastor Jim Bloom is his name. And we're talking about these things with him. And he offered as as a first step, simply getting to know your neighbor, opening your home, inviting people over, sharing meals with one another, be hospitable, be in one another's homes. And that got me thinking about this passage. This passage. This passage in Revelation, you know, maybe part of what it means to be the body of Christ is that we are put in places where we ourselves have the honor of wiping away the tears from other people's faces. And they get to wipe the tears from ours. It's a two-way street. Not because we ourselves are God, but because we are his redeemed children. And we are signposts of that new creation that new creation where there ultimately will be no more betrayal, no more lies, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. All of that will be wiped away. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we yearn for the day in which all things will be made new. Where worship and mission itself will be completely transformed. Lord, as you bring the power of the resurrection into our own lives, into this community, into this church of restoration, Lord, may you use us to be a signpost, both corporately and individually, of your new creation. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.